United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Good day. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. My name is Nelson Strobert, and today my guest is Dr. Michael Birkner, who is Professor of History at Gettysburg College. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you here because you have edited an interesting, interesting book entitled, ent- entitled Democracy's Shield, Voices of World War II, An Oral History. Uh, could you uh, explain or just share with the, uh, our audience what is the catalyst for this book? Sure thing. Uh, the uh, start really comes with my returning to Gettysburg College to teach in 1989, and I took over teaching a course that's very essential to the Gettysburg College history curriculum called Historical Methods, uh, which all history majors take. And in putting together the syllabus for that course and and the assignments for that course, I wanted the students to get their hands dirty in the archives, but I also thought that doing oral histories would be a very practical way for them to get their hands dirty and get immersed in something. It happens, of course, that uh, the early 1990s, when when I began doing this, was a time of a considerable reflection about World War II. You have, soon enough, you have the D-Day remembrances, you have the film Saving Private Ryan, and you have the fact that many of the veterans were in their 70s uh, by that time, or even older, and beginning to think about mortality. As a consequence, a very tight-lipped generation of World War II veterans began to open up, and so it was a good time to, to launch a project in which we got the stories of World War II era people. Oh, you said uh, tight-lipped veterans. Um, What do you think changed uh, that? Oh, I think it was definitely the the zeitgeist in the 1990s, Nelson, was geared more to opening up. Again, the the films that began to valorize those who had served in World War II, particularly Saving Private Ryan, the fact that they were approaching mortality, um, and the fact that people were starting to ask questions. Uh, and they, they began to rethink the fact that they hadn't spoken much about their war experiences, and they began, more of them, began to be willing to speak. Not everybody did. Right, I know. I, I had a friend who was in World War II, and, uh, and in fact, when there was a war movie on, he would ch- switch the channel uh, on the television. He just did not talk about it at all. And, and one of the things we found, too, was that many of the combat veterans who were willing to speak to me or to my students would close the door when it came to their actual personal combat experience because it still was, even 50 years later, too painful for them. But many did open up, and we got a lot of great stories. Okay. Uh, m- m- my next question is, how were these veterans identified? How did you find them, and uh, how did you solicit that was a major challenge, the, the issue of finding the veterans. Uh, for one thing, I used a network of people I knew who were veterans to ask them if they knew others. Uh, I asked people who I, I knew personally about family members. 
I wrote letters to the editor of the Gettysburg Times asking veterans to self-identify. That was my least effective means of recruiting people because most people did not want to self-identify, thinking that unless they had been like Audie Murphy and killed single-handedly uh, 400 enemy uh, soldiers, that they hadn't done anything worthwhile. Exactly. Uh, now, my argument with them and with my students was everybody has a story. Some people tell it better than others, but everybody has a story. So I, I reached out. Now, what I did when I was having more difficulty finding large numbers in Adams County is I told my students that they could uh, find a grandparent or a neighbor or a pastor or uh, some other distant relative who had a World War II story to tell. And let me also emphasize that I did not restrict the interviews to World War II veterans. Anybody who lived through the World War II era on the home front was also fair game. So some of the interviews that we collected over the years were home front interviews. Some were military interviews. And I might add that by the last five or six years that I uh, ran the project, um, they were kind of both because many of the young men who served in the war had been in high school during World War II, had been on the home front, and had home front stories to tell before they either dra were drafted or volunteered uh, in 1944 or 45. A good example would be my own father-in-law, who was one of the very last people uh, in World War II, uh, who at age 17 in 1945 uh, volunteered and got his mother to sign a waiver for him to go into the Navy. So his experience during World War II was primarily on the home front. So you get a double. Uh, the other thing I want to ask, how long did this project last? Uh, that, uh, the project ran for 25 years. Uh, I, I started it in 1990. I closed it out in 2015. And the reason I closed it out in 2015 was that it was getting virtually impossible to find enough people who were able and willing to speak to, say, 15 or 20 different students in a given semester. Right. You could find us a first person here, a person there. In fact, I did my last World War II interview just last year with a 97-year-old veteran who was in hospice uh, from uh, a nearby town who was absolutely a wonderful interview subject, and his name was Clem Leone, and was uh, uh, both uh, a navigator in a... In a uh, bombing mission, but also a POW because his, his plane was shot down and he had quite a story to tell. Uh, so after 2015, I felt like it really wasn't going to work as well. And so we stopped it. Okay. And, and, and uh, can you recall the uh, approximate number of interviews that were done during that period? Yeah, we, I would say the best estimate is 700. Uh, and as I said, some of them are home front strictly, some of them are military strictly. Many of them have elements of both the home front and the military experience in them. Uh, and for this book, Democracy Shield, obviously we were focused on the military experience. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned home front as well as those who were in combat. Um, in terms of gender, did you were you able to interview any women who were involved uh, during the war? Absolutely. Uh, I would say that it was a large percentage, but we interviewed a number of people who were wax or waves uh, during the war and who had their own stories to tell. One of the things that was striking to me in reading the transcripts of the interviews with the women was how restricted the women were 
the military brass was not going to let women anywhere near combat. They weren't as much as possible going to let women do things that, quote, men did, like fly planes. Um, One of my favorite stories was actually uh, with the wife of a longtime Civil War historian at Gettysburg College, and she had been uh, stationed in San Francisco and Washington, D.C. as a whack, and she recalled riding in a uh, taxi with a friend of hers who was also a whack, and in the front seat was a United States senator. Uh, and they were t- she, he was talking with uh, the taxi driver about women in the military, and he said, "No." Wo-, and he was a Southern senator, and she does the drawl of his of him. I won't do it here for you. In which he says, "It's over his dead body that any woman would be near combat." You know, and that's the kind of thing that you get in an interview. Some really personal stories. So we didn't get as many women as we'd like, but we did get some, and we got several war brides, that which was also very interesting. Oh, indeed, uh, indeed. Uh, and then the other question I have, in terms of multiracial context, were there, were there people of color who were uh, involved in the interviews? This was the single biggest disappointment of the project. Fairly early on in my uh assigning the World War II interviews, I contacted Charles Gladfelter at the Adams County Historical Society, and I said, I need to look for veterans of color from Adams County, if possible, because that's the closest place. And he contacted a local woman who, I won't mention her name, who said that she could supply these names. And indeed, she supplied a list of 22 names of African-American Uh, men in the Gettysburg area who had been in World War II, and she provided contact information. I called every one of those 22 names. I got not a single interview out of it, not because anybody turned me down, but because none of the addresses added up, none of the contact information added up, and we never got a single one of those. Okay, okay. And it was a big letdown. Right, exactly, exactly. I can understand that. Um, when you reflect on these stories, uh, what do you think uh, is the significance of these histories, these stories that these, that these people told? That's a, that's a very interesting question. And I think the significance really varies, Nelson, uh, dependent on who the listener is uh, and what the listener is listening for. I think for me, listening to these stories, it certainly humanizes the war in all its dimensions, the, the, the triumph and the tragedy, the amusing moments and the sad ones, the loneliness and the excitement. I mean, it just runs a whole gamut. And I think one of the real values of the book as a whole is that it captures things, things as silly as the um, ritual that Navy men went through where they would, uh, when they crossed the equator, go go, uh, through this this ceremony where they would become officially, you know, not polywogs anymore, but true sailors, and they had to have stuff thrown at them, and they had to slide in a pond, in a, in a pool in the ship. Okay. And then you had terrifying moments, like, uh, again, from the from the sea, a man named William Railing, who taught for many years uh, at Gettysburg College in the Department of Economics, he was in the Merchant Marine. And he describes a scene where he's in this merchant ship in the, in the uh, Atlantic, 
and a, a submarine sent a torpedo directly on target to his ship, and he would have been blown sky high. And what happened, they're just waiting for the hit, right. and the torpedo went under the ship, and, and they were saved. And him describing the tension of watching that torpedo coming in and knowing there was nothing they could do about it. Or, or the, the experience of a man, a local man named Donald Houck, uh, who was an Arnsville Arons, man, mm-hmm. who was a captain in uh, the military, in the, in the army uh, during the Battle of the Bulge. And he describes what he saw at the Battle of the Bulge when he was bunking with about five of his soldiers on the second floor of, of a small home. And the Germans took a beat on them with some kind of a, of a mortar. Mm-hmm. He saw the mortar coming in at him and the mortar hit him right in the leg, right. and he describes the burning sensation he felt. He then tried to move elsewhere in the room, and he couldn't, and he thought he was you know, injured. It turned out it had blown his leg off. Um, and he came back here, and he lived a very long and, 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 and I think, fruitful life uh, in Orangeville and told a, a student a story a few years uh, before his passing. So you had the, the misses, and you had the hits, and, of course, you also had the, the fun things. Oh, indeed. Um, as, you, as you describe some of these stories and relate some of them, I was wondering, uh, what were the... St- uh, do you recall the student reactions to hearing these stories? So these are young men and women, you know, who were uh, uh, not involved in the war effort or, or not involved in uh, current war skirmishes. Uh, oh, I, I, that is to me, your question relates to one of the, one of the greatest satisfactions of the project because almost invariably the students and i had them write reflections on their they had to write oh. several page reflections on the experience of doing these things so i could see what the good and the bad was and one of the common refrains was how much they were impacted by talking with someone some students even said i don't even talk, i've never talked for 90 minutes with my roommate how can i talk <laughs> for 90 minutes with a stranger right right but they did it and they they came away so impacted i'll tell you one story that has stuck with me a very good student from michigan uh, offered to interview her grandfather her, her uncle mm-hmm. who was actually the chief park historian here in gettysburg he had been an officer at the Battle of the Bulge, and he was wounded quite severely at the Battle of the Bulge. She did a wonderful interview with him, and inclu- with some very amusing statements by him. And at the end of the interview, she said to him, this is recorded in her reflection yes. essay, she says, Uncle Harry, how come I've known you my whole life, and I've never heard any of these stories that you've just told me now? And, he's, and he said to her, Molly, that's because nobody's ever asked me. And I thought, that's pretty powerful. Very much so. And I think it, it, it's kind of the um, essence of what I'm getting at in answering your question, that these kids were learning things that nobody had ever talked about to them, that they'd never thought to ask about unless they had this assignment. So I was very gratified by their sense of, of uh, having grown through the experience. Exactly. And I would think that uh, for these, uh, these soldiers and these workers that... Um, Probably most of them had not been asked 
to tell or relate their experiences because I think uh, for me, uh, when I think of friends who are in Vietnam, I never asked the question because for fear of, of exposing or bringing things that they don't want to talk about. It was a combination of nobody thinking to ask the questions. And as I said, many of the veterans had not thought it was appropriate to revisit their experience in the war. Uh, but that, as we talked about earlier in this interview, that dissipated in the 90s. They were much more willing to be forthright about it. Exactly. Uh, the other thing that um, you mentioned earlier, and that is that these stories, that you're not only relegated to Adams County, but that you, it was spread uh, to other parts of the states and other experiences. That's right. One of the things I did, for example, was I, uh, a, a friend of mine who had been a colleague of mine uh, in the history department had moved to Lancaster when he retired to a to a uh, you know a senior citizen facility, and uh, we kept up. and I said, "Can you come up with some names for me?" And he came up with a bunch of names of Lancaster people, oh. uh, and so I could send students. My students had cars; they could go out of Lancaster. They could go to further reaches when I know about alumni who had been of the college who had been uh, in the wars uh, I would send them if they were willing to drive to other places like Allentown or Harrisburg to do interviews um, and so we did get outside of Adams County we really had to because as you know this is a fairly small population right. base and a lot of people did not ever really respond to my request to come forward to talk. Mm -hmm. Those who did were terrific, oh, but, yeah. but they were probably sure. a minority. So in addition to that, because many Gettysburg College students come from fair distances from here, if they were going home for spring break or fall break to do their interview, they, we might get someone who had lived in New Hampshire or lived in Vermont or lived in Michigan. And so we did get a somewhat wider spread. Oh, that's, that's, that's very helpful, which also indicates that this book um, can be read, I mean, certainly for people in this area, but has a significance or importance for anyone interested in World War II. I, I'm, I'd like to believe that, although I'll tell you an amusing uh, story. Um, I went to my local uh, general uh, practitioner uh, for a physical recently, and, I had, and he's a good friend, and I yes. had given him a copy of the book. And when I walked in a few weeks later after I'd given him the book, he said to me, he says, I loved reading your book. He said, all my old patients were in, the, are in this book. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a special reason to, to, to connect with what was being said. These were people he treated. Uh, so we did have a lot of, lot of local people, for sure. But yes, a, lar a, larger, a larger focus. You know, very, I think, and that's helpful uh, to other people uh, studying and interested in World War II. Um, but I, I'd be remiss if people in our listening audience want to find, get a copy of this book, how would they do that? Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, the book is available on a fairly uh, limited basis in the sense that it's not in local bookstores, I'm sorry to say. However, anybody who would be interested in the book can purchase it, and it's a very handsome 265-page book, heavily illustrated. Um, it, it's available through the Musselman Library at Gettysburg College, and all you would need to do is contact uh, Robin Wagner, whose email address is rowagner at gettysburg.edu, or just any librarian at the college. I believe the book is available for $22.00. And if you needed it shipped, it would be another 3 or $4 to ship it. If you wanted to come in, you would have no uh, extra charge to get it. Um, the book is also a companion volume to a book on the home front, which is called Common Cause, 
which has features an awful lot of local Gettysburg and Adams County people and their experiences on the home front here. Uh, and it is a, a wonderful evocation of the can-do, pull-together spirit of the home front during those years. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Uh, um, one uh, one uh, last question uh, for, uh, for our listening audience and for me, and that is, what do you think is the significance of oral history? Oral history is a means of filling gaps in our historical memory. We are writing down less, and we are writing down less that we keep because people are communicating electronically. Uh, by doing oral histories, and I certainly encourage everyone to do oral histories with their family members uh, and making transcripts of them. Uh, in my own experience of doing that, these transcripts get passed around from family member to family member, and they, they bring back laughter and tears and much in between. Uh, I think oral history is a connectivity point between generations, and I think, Nelson, that may be the single most important thing. We are not necessarily talking uh, to each other um, as young people to older people or vice versa. What a great way to make that connection. Well. Thank you. Thank you for that response, and thank you for this interview. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> My guest today has been uh, Dr. Michael Birkner, who is professor of history at Gettysburg College, and we were discussing uh, his edited work, Democracy's Shield, Voices of World War II, an oral history. Thank you so much. For the Seminary Explorers, this is Nelson Strobert. Have a good day. You have been listening to The Seminary Explores, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.